Good morning. It's great to see you all. Uh, my name is Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much, Margo, for that wonderful prayer time for all of us. Um, if you have your Bibles on you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Let us read together. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray together once more. God, we're so grateful for your presence. Thank you for that time of worship where we get to acknowledge who you are, what you've done, and what you're still doing. And that we can sit in this hope of what you have yet to do. As we meditate on this text this morning, would it move us? Would it do something in us? Would it spark something? And Holy Spirit, we know that if we leave this morning without having deeply immersed ourselves in, our, in, in your presence, that's not enough. We hope for that. So God, we recognize that you're here right now. We pray that you would be powerful and potent. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I've noticed there are two things, two things that uh, our Western culture values so much in this moment, so much. Uh, those two things are influence and distinction. Influence and distinction. So influence. Um, so many people, maybe you've noticed this in yourself, have been trying to make their mark on their environment in their way. We live in the age of influence, and really this kind of goes back to this um, super influential book in the 1930s. It was a classic Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It shaped this whole generation of influencers. And now today, we really do live in the age of the influencer. We've got people who, thousands and thousands of people online who are selling things and opening up their lives to be an influence to their environment. We value influence so much. And maybe you've noticed this 
in your workplace, in your school, on your sports team. There's a jostling for influence. Distinction. We all want to make our mark in our environment, but we want to do it in a way that's unique to us. We want to be distinct. We want to be known for something that's unique to us. So whether it's our favorite sports team, the music we listen to, the clothes we wear, who our friends are, uh, who we vote for, we want to be known for something that distinguishes us from our neighbors. We value these things, influence and distinction. And really, this text that we've just read touches on these two things in a huge way, influence and distinction. So what this text is all about. So at this point in the text, Jesus, he's preaching his famous sermon on the mount. That's our current sermon series that we're in. We're digging into Jesus' famous sermon on the mount. This text lands at the end of what we call the Beatitudes and transitions into the latter half of Jesus' sermon. And you can just imagine Jesus preaching to the masses. And for so many people, this is the first time they've heard these kind of ideas. For us sitting here today, we might be familiar with the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. This, this text that we just read is one that should be super familiar to many of us. We even know the term, oh, that person, they're just the salt of the earth. It's familiar to us, but you can just imagine these people sitting here and listening to Jesus preach his Sermon on the Mount. And being bewildered by Jesus saying, you, you're salt. You are salt. And then their eyes widening as the penny drops and they realize, okay, this is what Jesus is talking about. And it shapes their lives. It propels them forward into following him. And so Jesus, as he's preaching this, he's casting some vision for his people. He's casting some vision for his church. And there's so much to uncover here. And this is my thesis for uh, this message. When Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, he is calling us to be agents of preservation in a decaying world. When Jesus says that we are the light of the world, he's calling us to be radically distinct in a dark world. And the overarching idea that I want us to, to have stuck in our minds as we sit is that the church is not just to survive in a decaying and dark world. The church is to be a beautiful, beautiful influence. So why do I use this language of decay? Would it come to a surprise to any of us if I was to say the world is decaying? The world's decaying. Often our Western society likes to um, communicate to us that we are progressing, that we're ever progressing, we're always moving in the right direction. Um, this is just the lasting impact of the Enlightenment in that these old constructs that have 
held us back, they no longer need to bind us, so we can just move forward. We're always progressing. And in some ways, there's truth to this. We all know that. Society has progressed in many different ways, in, in ways of human rights and justice movements and technology that saved lives and enhanced the lives of so many. We have seen progress. Yet, beyond some of these things, we know that there's part of this that's a facade. When we see past this facade, we see a lot of decay in this world. Some examples would be even just the deterioration of people's mental health, and in a lot of ways, people's physical health, quality of life. We see a lot of decay, and it doesn't take long to look around the world and see that there is a lot going on that, man, you can't call that progress. Decay. I'm an optimist, but I cannot deny this reality when we look into the world. And Jesus knew this better than anyone. And so in verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Why salt? Why salt? To us, salt is nothing more than a pantry item that we bring off our shelf when we want to cook a meal. That's what salt is to us. But in first century Jewish culture, salt had much more meaning and use. So first thing, uh, salt was absolutely used as a seasoning. It was, it was a way of being hospitable, um, used to enhance and draw out the flavor in the meals that were cooked. So it was used to make food more palatable in that time. Second, salt was used as an image um, by rabbis for wisdom. Salt was used as this image for wisdom. And so um, if someone were to call you salty today, they'd be calling you a grump or a sore loser. Back in Jesus' time, if someone were to kind of say that you were a salty person, it means you were wise, you were learned, you were humble. So there's this different meaning at play. And so... Above all else, perhaps the, perhaps the primary use of salt in Jesus' time was as a preserving agent. A preserving agent. There were no refrigerators or deep freezers in Jesus' time. And so when a fisherman would catch a fish, he would immediately rub it with salt to preserve this fish and keep it from rotting. Jesus goes on to say, if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? So today we have many different ways of purifying the salt that we use, but in Jesus' time, that wasn't the case. Salt that was dug up from the shores of the Dead Sea um, a lot of times would become uh, useless pretty quick. It would lose um, it's innate saltiness, what made it useful in terms of preservation. And so once the salt had lost all of its saltiness or its use or what made it salt, to be able to preserve meat, it was just tossed out. It was tossed out onto the street. 
couldn't perform its purpose. Jesus says it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. It's a word that for those who were sitting, you can imagine the masses who were witnessing Jesus preach this message. They would have known what Jesus was talking about. You are the salt of the earth. They would have known. And so when we are rubbed into society like salt, we hold back societal decay and preserve God's goodness here on earth. And this is what distinguishes us from the world. Jesus says you're that kind of influence. One that when you are integrated into society as my followers, you keep the rot and decay at bay and you preserve what's good. This is what's so powerful about what Jesus is saying. But what happens when we lose that? That saltiness. When we lose what makes us distinct, that influence, Jesus says we become useless. And that's a tough word. That's what Jesus says. John Stott, he calls it road dust. It's just, it's just road dust. Road dust is just something you walk on. It's just there. What does road dust really contribute? That was what happened in Jesus' time. People would throw out their useless salt and it would just become road dust. People would just go over it with their wagons and their donkeys and stuff. Jesus says, don't lose that. Jesus' intent for his followers was for them to carry that distinctive influence with them wherever they go. Not just claim a belief, yet live like everyone else. Jesus says, stay salty. So we're called to be the salt of the earth, agents of preservation in a world of decay. And when I say this, someone might come to mind for you. Someone who you would say, is just an agent of preservation in a world of decay. Wherever they go, it seems like they keep the goodness alive and well. I have a friend like that. This friend and I, we met when we were in university and we did so many different things together. We had so many classes together. Um, And uh, when we grew close, I began to see this in him, this salt of the earth kind of persona, this person who wherever he went, it's like he just preserved the goodness and the godliness in that place. We ended up traveling Ireland together, Northern Ireland, and we went to different places and I just saw how, man, wherever this person goes, it just seems like stuff happens. I don't know if you know anyone like that. It just seemed like like godly stuff goes down. So recently we were getting together and uh, he was telling me a little bit about his job. He works at UGM in Vancouver. And um, he's been working there for over a year and he's been telling me a little bit about some of the relationships he's built with his coworkers. And all of his coworkers in his department are non-Christian, none of whom believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. And so specifically he developed a close relationship with someone who had been deeply, deeply wounded 
by the church and unaccepted due to their sexuality. And Paul, uh, my friend, he develops this close relationship with this person. They become friends. So recently, um, my friend, he accepted a new position within the organization, and this would cause him to move departments. And so it came time for him to tell his coworkers, and specifically this friend who he had developed a close relationship with, who had been deeply wounded by the church. This new position that my friend was going into was church relations. And so shares the news that he's moving to a different department and to both of their surprise, there's just weeping, weeping. What this person says is so powerful. Says this. Says, you've been a person of healing in my life. Says to my friend that he's so happy that he's going into church relations because the church needs more people like him. There's no reason we can't be like that. There's no reason we can't be that kind of person in our workplaces. There's no reason we can't be that kind of person in our schools or on our sports teams, in our clubs, or our extracurriculars, in our neighborhood, at home. That person who people look at and say, you're a person of healing. You're a person of preservation in this world that's so clearly decaying. Do you know someone like that? What makes them like that? I want to encourage us as a church family to study that person who comes to mind. Take a good, close look at them. Maybe get together for coffee and ask them, what can I do to step into that a little bit more? So, salt of the earth, an agent of preservation, a preserving influence in a world of, of decay. So, part two. Jesus says to his listeners, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What a word. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. We live, this is no surprise to anyone, we live in a dark world. We live in a dark world. But in our time, the world seems lit, lighted up. We drive down Highway 1 at night and you drive by the, the skyline in Burnaby. And it's actually incredible. The whole sky seems to be lit up. In Jesus' time, this wasn't the case. <laughs> it was dark figuratively and literally. When night fell, the only thing that would be lighting up a home would be a small oil lamp. And this would give enough dim light for a whole home. And so I can only imagine how much a city with numerous lamps would light up on a hill, light up the landscape for miles, that travelers coming into that city would stop for a second, and it would take their breath away. They would look at this city and go, wow, okay, that's light. That's unmistakable. There it is. You couldn't miss it. 
Jesus' followers at this time would have understood that um, just as a city on a hill would be visible, so too his followers need to be visible. We need to understand it that way as well. That just as a city on a hill, you can't miss it. So too, his followers, you cannot miss. We're called to be radically distinct. Radically distinct. Jesus goes on to say, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in a house. In the same way, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let it shine before others so that they they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So, in teaching this text, um, pastor and author John Tyson, he connects this, what, what Jesus is saying to this idea called ketment. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before. It's, it was coined by a Polish author during Nazi occupation in Poland. Ketman can be defined as paying lip service to something while being completely opposed to it internally. It's confessing something on the outside while having a totally different set of beliefs on the inside. So this has been a mental defense for centuries. And so if you've seen the film Silence, you'd know that this idea is super prevalent in the movie. And it's about Catholic missionaries in Japan, and you know that there's a huge element of this, especially in the ending. Confessing something on the outside, paying lip service, but then having a totally different set of beliefs on the inside. So many followers of Jesus, both in Jesus' time, but also in our time, we know this, practice Ketman. It's been that way for over 2,000 years. So we can come to church on a Sunday, go to Bible study midweek, serve, be on the worship team, do whatever, without anybody knowing where we actually stand and what we actually believe on the inside. We can go into our communities and be the top secret Christian. For some of us, that might be because of the cultural climate we found ourselves in and um, that, let's be honest, it's openly hostile towards Orthodox Christian belief. So we've carefully and meticulously hidden our faith as to protect ourselves from judgment and attack. And I don't want anyone to feel ashamed about that. Like that is a real sense of security for people and mental defense for people. What Jesus would want you to know is that you've been given a light. You've been given a light and you can be confident in that. And the light that you've been given in this dark world might illuminate the house for everybody else. Don't put it under a basket. Don't put it under a basket. Don't hide it. That wasn't Jesus' intent. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So it's important to take note of the fact that this light that we carry, this beautiful, stunning light that we carry in a dark world, it's not of our own merit. 
It's not of our own merit. It's not something we've cultivated on our own. This is the light that we carry as followers of Jesus. And Jesus was, his posture was always pointing towards his father. Theologian R.T. France, he says it so well. He says, light, like salt, affects its environment by being distinctive. The disciple who is visibly different from other men will have an effect on them. But the aim of his good works is not to parade his own virtue, but to direct attention to the God who inspired them. By doing so, the disciple will give light to all. Jesus is preeminently the light of the world, as Isaiah prophesied of the servant, but this role is passed to his disciples. And so, um, different theologian, Douglas R.A. Hare, he puts it so potently, and I love, I love this quote. It says, the church needs to remember constantly that it is not, in fact, the light itself, but only the window through which the light is to be seen. The window through which the light is to be seen and made visible to the world around us. So when we choose to hide this light, we rob the world of what we believe is the only thing that effectively will push back darkness. And we saw this in Jesus' life. We saw this, we've seen this in Jesus' followers. You can think of people similarly like salt who are like light to the world around them. And we're often curious about what that looks like. And my favorite theologian, Gandalf the Grey, says it this way. I have found that it is small everyday deeds of ordinary folks that keeps darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. How beautiful is that? So good, Gandalf. Jesus calls each one of us to be radically distinct in a dark world. As followers of Jesus, we aren't just to survive in this decaying and dark world. That's not, that's not our call. We're called to be a beautiful influence. And a beautiful influence that looks like preserving goodness and godliness in a world that's decaying and deteriorating and not losing what makes us distinct. And so a question for us to wrestle with today as a church, have we lost our saltiness? Maybe ask yourself that. Have I lost my saltiness? That, that influence of preservation in this decaying world. Have I lost it? A beautiful influence. It looks like letting your faith in Jesus be visible in a dark world. Not hiding it. Not putting it under a basket. Another question for us. Are we hiding our light? Are we hiding our light? Question to ask yourself, are you hiding your light? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up as we close. We know that our world today and that in our Western culture, it, it deeply, deeply values influence and distinction. And I really believe Jesus valued those things as well, but in such a different way. In such a different way than we would value it in our culture today. And so, two questions for us that I want us to take home and wrestle with. 
throughout this week. What kind of influence will you be in your workplace, in your school, at home? What kind of influence will you be? Be a preserving influence in a decaying world. Notice the goodness and godliness around you and be that person who preserves that. Second question, how will you be distinct in this world? What are you known for? Is it the car you drive? Is it how much money you have in your bank account? Is it your relationships, your job? How will you be distinct in this world? My encouragement for you is this. Let your wild, passionate love for Jesus be known to this world. Do not, I plead with you, do not hide this. It is the most precious thing that you can give to the people you love. It's the most precious thing you can give to the people who you know. So please don't hide it. Let your light shine before others so that all glory could be given to our Father in heaven. Let us pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you've given us this saltiness and this light, not for us to just keep to ourselves, but to share. And so, God, we notice that this world is rapidly decaying. Our hearts break over it. That so much of Jesus, the values and teaching that you bestowed upon your followers, we notice that there's less of an emphasis on it. Would we be people that preserve the, good, the, the true goodness of your teaching and your life, Jesus? Would we carry you with us wherever we go? Be salty people. And would we be light who in a dark world can just light up the house that people would be drawn to that light and that we might be a window that could show people the true source of light. Would this word convict us and motivate us to action? Ultimately, Jesus, we rest in your love that like a waterfall that just pours over us, we know that is like your love. So would we just as we worship, would we rest in that, but also be motivated to action? In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.